Hi, this is Debbie Morgan, and you're listening to the Spirit of Now Zeitgeist podcast to explore spiritual and cultural ideas with exciting thinkers and teachers. And today, I'm very, very excited to talk to Scott Macklin. He serves as the Executive Director of Global Online Learning and Faculty in the School of Art, Media, and Culture at Trinity Western University. Scott is a PhD candidate just getting ready to cross the finish line in a few weeks in Economics and Development Studies at Nelson Mandela University in South Africa. His scholarship focuses on developing technology-enabled systems and comprehensive strategies to improve education and the ways we engage our learners and constituents. Scott currently serves on the Board of Trustees for the Institute of Christian Studies, Commission for the City of Seattle's Office of Economic and Community Development, and on the Advisory Board for the Seattle Interactive Conference. Scott is an award-winning author, interactive designer, and multimedia maker. He creates stories using deep media and can usually be found looking for an espresso. (laughs) Scott, welcome to The Spirit of Now. Hey, Devaney. So good to be spending time with you. And first off, uh, according to the Facebooks, there's a picture with your baby's baby's belly. So congratulations. Thank that you is, that's, so that's much. amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. We are very excited. This is going to be my first grandbaby. So yep. my, my gray hair is officially now grandma hair. <laughs> and, you know, I think I first met Gwenny when she was maybe nine. So that's been wow. Yeah. No, no, what, she was younger than that. Well, she was younger than that? She was younger oh, okay. than that. You yeah. know, I'm going to blame COVID because time has collapsed in on That's itself. Right. So I, I, I've lost all track. You know, it's March 372. <laughs> I think everybody can relate to that. I think everybody yeah. can relate. And, you know, yeah. speaking speaking of, of COVID and the pandemic, um, I think now is an outstanding time to talk to you because here we are toward the end of March in 2021, and uh, we actually spoke originally, I'll tell our audience, uh, all, probably to the date uh, last year in 2020, and our conversation was about what's going to happen with this crazy pandemic. And so uh, rather than replay that same interview, I wanted to come back and see what is different a year later. What a, let's have a conversation that leans into this place of where we are, this place of being stuck for a year, being internal for a year, being reflective for a year. Mm -hmm. And Scott, my first question to you is, as somebody whose job is learning and learning about learning and help other people learn about learning, What have you learned (laughs) as you and the university have had to pivot to this remote scenario? Um, What's come out of that for you? Yeah. um, You know, what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, It's the year of the ox in the lunar calendar. And if we think about it, we've been living through some pretty dark days. I mean, literally, you know, but by the end of this, month the sun will begin to set at 737 mm-hmm. and by the end of april by 830 and by the end of may 917 at least here in the west coast that means brighter days are ahead right yeah. so i'm thinking about that in terms of the year of the ox and one of my favorite 
passages in the Older Testament actually is Deuteronomy 25.4. And you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain, which always confused me. Because right? what, what, what does that mean? So in other kinds of labor, oxen were usually muzzled when they did their work. They, but when driven to and fro over the threshing floor in order to stamp out the grain from the chaff, they were allowed to partake in the fruits of their labor. That means the, the ox got to eat as they worked. Therefore, okay. the fruits of the labor were shared by the laborers, right? And I think the year of the ox is creating a situation where we need to be really thinking about the systems of, of who gets to partake in the fruits of our labor. Okay, and then yeah. I started thinking about, and not to go too biblical, but here I am, <laughs> these times, greater reflections. In Judges 6.11, the story of Gideon. Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from Midianites, right? What, what does that mean? The thresh wheat at the bottom of a, what, what does that mean? Well, grain, wheat, were threshed in a threshing floor and grapes were pressed in a wine press in order to press wine. But Gideon refused to be held to the convention that wheat was threshed at a threshing floor. He didn't allow the circumstances he found himself in to limit him. Because if he would have done that, 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 that threshing, he would have been found out and the, and, the, and the wheat would have been taken. So he did it in the wine press. He thought outside <laughs> of the box, right? Right. So if anything, this occasion in thinking about how to create relevant, active, meaningful learning, when we are reduced to the Brady Bunch mode, when we are reduced to these boxes, yeah, when yeah. we are reduced to a format that supports transmission, not necessarily transaction. And how about even trying to get to transformation? Because we are cut off from so much of the information that we're typically allowed to participate in when we're dealing with people who happen to be in a room with us. Gesture, silence, body language, right? Yeah. We have to create interactions mediated through the screen. So trying to thresh wheat at the bottom of the wine press is trying to engage in deep learning in zoom right but let's not limit ourselves to that because i would argue that if you're teaching in a large lecture hall where you have 500 students anything beyond the fourth row is remote learning anyway <laughs> right are you having like that yeah are you, are you having those meaningful engaged deep conversations in a large lecture so it, it doesn't, so I'm really thinking about the modality and how to intentionally design with the modality in mind. So this occasion of the shift from this pivot to teaching remotely is how do we begin to think about multi-access? How can we teach if we have learners in a room with us at the same time, teach learners who are geographically separated, but together synchronously because of Zoom and then even those learners who may be asynchronously trying to participate in their own time. And that's what we've really been working on designing and delivering through our work at Trinity Western. And I'm calling that tone teaching online effectively. And we have this, we have tone swap meets, okay. right? Where faculty get together and we share, we have tone learning pods where faculty form pods with other faculty to talk, share, and then we have our tone, tone sessions. 
So this ultimately leads me to Ecclesiastes 11.4. Those who observe the wind and wait for all conditions to be favorable will not sow, and those who regard the clouds will not reap. So like Gideon, we need the courage to see. And once we hear God's vision for our life, right, it requires courage for him to take an honest look at who he really was before he had become what God has envisioned. So this, this vision that's been laid upon us, what are we going to do to think outside the box? But we have to have, what is that North Star? And for me, it's about meaningful, engaged, relevant learning. So there are seven lessons that, that I have learned. And if, if you would like, I'll, I'll share those lessons with you. I would like that a lot. Okay. So first you have to start with, first you have to start with empathy. You know, no one cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care, build that empathy into your design and make sure that, that especially during this time when the cognitive weight, the heaviness of the times whether that's due to political just mockedness, <laughs> racial tensions that we need to be accountable and atone for. I mean, t- t- learners everywhere, we're, it's heavy. It's, it's hard to be <laughs> learning right now. Right. So how do, how do we design to make sure that we're providing care? And I love the word curation for this aspect. Because curation is rooted in the Latin word cure, which is a priestly function, to care for one's soul. So if we can begin with care and empathy, that's a good place to start. Two, the lesson that I've learned and continue to learn, and I know you're going to appreciate this because this came out of a film that I think I saw with you when it came out, which was Pulp Fiction. And we've had many discussions about Pulp Fiction. (laughs) was when Mia turns to Vincent and asks, are you the type of person (laughs) who thinks about what they're going to say? Are you the type of person who's listening when the person's talking? And he goes, I'm the type of guy who's uh, thinking about what I'm going to say, but I'm trying. (laughs) I'm trying, right? We need to learn to become better active listeners. We need to learn and model and demonstrate and practice listening to understand before we listen to respond. And I would argue in the West, at least school systems are set up, listen to respond. Right. Right. So we need, how do we listen? So how do we do that? So when I'm doing a course, I start off every course with a check-in and and a little question on a scale of one to five, how excited are you to learn today? And just give every student a chance just to put down one to five, 30 seconds. It gives me a barometer. It gives me a sense of where students are. And then I can tune, tone and tune accordingly, right? So that's two. Three, create a space for student expertise and leadership to shine. How do we create learning so the students take responsibility and co-ownership of their learning? So in Zoom, what I found to be very effective, and I don't call them breakout rooms anymore. I call them breakthrough rooms. Oh, and like in, it. And in polling and students, I have a prompt. Students go into a break. It's like that same pedagogical approach of turn, talk, share, turn to your neighbor, have a conversation, come back to the group and share it out. Well, 
when I send, when people, when my students go into breakout rooms, it might be up to three. It could be four. Sometimes it's dyads too, depending on the topic. And, and they have, they have a conversation and we use a collective note taking We use Google docs. So they actually have to take notes. So there's a record that they can share collectively with everyone else. And when I ask my students, would you like me to spend more or less time in your individual breakout rooms? Because if I'm in a classroom and we're doing small discussion, I'm still in the room and I can sort of weigh in and move out, sort of listen. What I've heard over and over again from my students is now nah, we got this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and by me staying out of the room actually creates the opportunity for them to step up and lead yeah, and, yeah. and practice that. So I think creating those, those occasions for that leadership to shine is important. And then number four is what I call provide cognitive apprenticeship. And that's learning pods. You know, when I used to go on field trips, they called it the buddy system. Who's your buddy, right? <laughs> who's who's going to help keep you accountable in your learning? You know, some people call it core communities of reflection and practice. And there's a lot of research around that. But it's really how to help students create and self-organize in their learning pods for reflection and peer advice and have that count in a way towards their, their understanding of, of the course. Number five, and this is, this is one I came to, um, I'm still working on. We need to recreate rituals. Mm. So what is another way to approximate the 15 minute walk to class at Trinity Western? It would be about a 15 minute walk from the Reimer building where my office is across campus to the Northwest building where I teach. That 15-minute walk was so important for me to get into a particular mindset, headspace, heart space. And so as I made that walk and walked my way into the classroom, even though I wasn't conscious of it, I was preparing and getting ready and letting go of what I was doing to get ready for, for the adventure I was now going to take with, with these learners. When I'm on Zoom, I may be doing the dishes until... 1159 my class is at noon and I run downstairs hit zoom turn it on that's like you know there's a great affordance because I can be right there right now but I need to make sure I'm building in what is the proximal ritual so now before I teach I'm going to take a walk around the block I'm going to be I have to be intentional about those things um and and so it, it, it doesn't mean you're recreating exactly what you did, but what are you doing in this modality that gives, that sets you up? And that's why these rituals are important. You know, when I was a student, my ritual is I sharp, I sharpened my pencil at least 10, 12 times in an hour because I needed to get up. I needed to get out of my seat, but going to sharpen my pencil, right. was something <laughs> I could do and not get in trouble for. That's why I think we need to put pencil sharpeners back into every classroom and put pencil <laughs> sharpeners in, in every bedroom because at least it gives you you're doing something. And there's just something really cool about that sound. Gig, 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 right. <laughs> so number six is discovering surprising advantages of online learning. And what was what was one of the surprises for me in face to face learning? We tend to privilege the extrovert. The person who's willing to speak out, the person who's willing to talk, they get called on again. Well, what's fascinating about doing breakthrough rooms and doing collective note taking um, allows those students who may be on the more introverted side of, this, of the sphere, the chance to reflect, 
the time to think, the time to really gather their thoughts before they have to share. And it gives more opportunity for sharing because when you're talking in a classroom, usually only one person can talk at a time. But when you're sharing notes in an asynchronous fashion, they can all be there. And then we can take the time where I can go over and read and give feedback or other students can go and give feedback. So I think it creates the occasion for, for more participation. Yeah. If designed. And then the, and the seventh one is really, you know, this, this really should be the first start with the end in mind. What is your hope for your learners? What do you hope that they'll take away from the course and design accordingly, whether that's a lecture, a reading, a video, a podcast, a learning activity, an assignment, or your assessment, make sure that all connects with and builds towards not only your expectations, because as the instructor, you create the learning goals, but having an understanding, this goes back to this first part, empathy. What do you know about your students' hopes and desires on what they want out of the class? You know what? Ask them. So I do this Venn diagram assignment. What I expect, what they expect, and then they get to put the third circle and they get to fill it. And maybe it's their parents. Maybe it's their boyfriend, girlfriend. Maybe it's their, their place of work. Maybe it's their friends. And then, and then try to come up. What's that sweet spot in the middle? You know, the Venn diagram where you have preacher, you have preacher, you have bank robber and, and, and you have DJ and, and, you know, and, and the, and the, and the spot between the preacher and, 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 and the DJs get your hands up, <laughs> you know, everyone on the floor, show me the money, you know, in the, in the, in the sweet spot, right. Right. So what's that sweet spot, but hearing from the students so they can, they can articulate their sweet spot. And then, and then I can filter that into, into my actions. So these seven lessons learned for me all helped me to frame this move from just doing transmission and not and just transaction to transformative learning. And by shifting the thinking from transmitting knowledge to transforming lives, building relationships, educators can bring the focus back to the human face of education and the priority of the learner's experience. So in some ways, this experience has reframed for me to really think about and design with that learner expectation and the humanity of our learners as the center. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just love just to repeat what you've said, the transmission, transaction, transformation. Yep. That. I th- and this is this is going to be helpful for me with Zeitgeist because you know of course our raison d'etre is to change people's spiritual lives and in essence change community through that and so that's that's the ethos we begin with but then when it comes down to curriculum it's almost like the switch flips and now it's like okay transmission transmission what are we going to transmit yeah, you know, and I think ultimately we, you know, we are effective at, at at our mission, but it's not because I designed it that way. It's because, fortunately, you know, the the universe uh, steps in and and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and creates transformation uh, even when when I haven't 
created curriculum in the same way that you're describing. But I tell you what, this is very inspirational for me because I can see where this is a radically different model. model and uh, I'm betting it's radically more effective. Um, what I can share with you, and you can add it to the show notes if you like, I've actually written um, uh, a post called Backstage to a Course. And I take you step through step how I designed, uh, I think it was, it was either my cross-cultural communication course or theory and practice of social media. They sort of merge in my brain right now. Um, it's been a long day. <laughs> I'm trying to hold, hold things together. But the shift, and I think where, this, where, I, where I'd love to get deep with you in conversation, and maybe we can plan a little zeitgeist workshop on some of this, Yeah, is it, it gets at this notion of catalytic thinking. And shifting the question, and if you can shift the question, you can shift the narrative. And if you can mm -hmm. shift the narrative, you can shift the action, right? So what do I mean by shifting the question? So instead of asking, what is the problem and how will we solve it? We ask, what is the future we want to create? And what will it take to create that reality? It's a shift okay. in question yeah. that actually yeah. gets, yeah. that'll shift the action. You know, oftentimes we ask the question, how will we pay for that? Where will the money come from? Well, how about if we started with what resources do we have together that none of us has on our own? What if mm. we started from, you know, that asset audit, not a deficit audit when we're trying to assess out steps. Right, so, right, yeah. Right. I love that. So Scott, I mean, as you're talking here, I'm thinking this is brilliant. This is brilliant stuff. And I'd mentioned in the introduction that you're getting ready to uh, cross that line with your dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, talk about brilliant stuff. Just the title of this is so provocative. Uh, Reimagining Culture and Creative Industries, Developing Career Connected Pathways. So tell me about that. What does this mean? Why is it important? Yeah. Why and you the man to do it. And, it, and if I'm, if I get a little bit too much in the weeds, just my, 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 my daughter and my son, Nico, in case they have a symbol, I know people listening can't see this, but they do a symbol where they, where they take their two hands above their head and form a circle. Right. And that's their signal to me that Papa is oversharing again. <laughs> so because I can see you and, and because I'm just in the throes of writing, that's where I'm at. I'm actually writing the, the acknowledgements and I'm writing the abstract for my work. So I tend to go more off the cuff and talk, but I, I may actually read some stuff that I've written because I'm kind of addicted to figure out if it's making sense or not. So <laughs> you let me know, cause you could go, what, you know, <laughs> okay. I will, I yeah, will let you know, the generally speaking more is more. So, <laughs> okay. There you go. Um, so the, the, the research is rooted in three, three methodologies, just to state that up front. Margaret Archer, who's a critical realist, talks about she has a theory of morphogenetic approach to development. Morph, the word morph and, and genesis together, morphogenetic, which basically means development from within, endogenous, right? From the bottom up as opposed to imposed. And it's through activating dormant agency within systems. Um, I couple that with Adam Kahane, who does work in transformative scenario planning, 
where you're working with distributed groups of people, oftentimes from different backgrounds, different political arenas, trying to collectively generate possible scenarios of what could happen. And then I use Cynthia Kurtz participatory narrative inquiry, which emphasizes narratives of personal experience, diversity of perspective and experiences, interpretations of narratives by those who share them to do catalytic pattern exploration and narrative group sense-making. So I weave those three to create what I call narrative generative narratives, narratives that matter. And the underlying shift and argument that I'm trying to make, so I'm doing my PhD at the Nelson Mandela University in, in economics and development studies. So I'm trying to look at the social economic realities of, our, of current situations and making a narrative shift away from neoliberalism, which can be interpreted as a political project to reestablish the conditions for political accumulation and restore the power of economic elites, right? We find that I think that neoliberal mentality is waning mm-hmm. in the 21st century. What is going to emerge? What are we looking at? And in a workshop that I took with Dr. Anthony Back, who uh, is a medical oncologist at the University of Washington, we're working on a project called Care Labs, thinking about palliative care and end-of-life care um, and shifting the national conversation around that. He said, if we are going to reframe the national conversation towards societal well-being, then we must shift the mindset of people away from systems driven by pathogenesis to salutogenesis. Salutogenesis is an approach focusing on mechanisms that support human health and well-being rather than on factors that cause disease. I went, huh, I like that. What is he talking about? What, what mechanisms? What, 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 what is that? And then I started thinking about Margaret Archer's notion of morphogenesis, which is unpacking the generative mechanisms in a society, policy, whatever they may be, that drives certain things. Mm-hmm. And stepping back and wanting to say, hey, we need to reframe our generative stories. So, and Scott, let me interrupt yeah. real quick. Can you give us an example of that just to help people um, come along with you? Yeah, yeah. So during my work in South Africa, I was introduced to a term called, it's a Kosa word, mazazake, which means to build each other through a cultural exchange of art and culture, to build each other through an exchange of art and culture. We do not have a word for that in English. Mm-hmm. There's no word to build each other through an exchange. We need a whole sentence to say that one word. So mazazaki is a generative mechanism. That's a word. That's, that's a way. That's a process. It's built into the language. It's built in, in, into the fabric. So um, other, other, other generative mechanisms could be, for instance, you might state a policy that creates requirements when you're building new homes that they have to be built according to certain green policies. Well, that's going to shift how the home is built. That's going to shift in the uh, materials that you use. That's going to shift in the practices for hiring. That policy change creates a mechanism to drive change downstream, right? right. So what, what are those key drivers that need to change? So my work is trying to unpack really those mechanisms to, to, to answer your question. And in this context, then, in culture, um, 
Culture and Creative Industry, CCI. Um, in this context, Mazazaki's word that described to me as being based on the concept of action that seeks to link arts, culture, politics, history, and education to build cohesive communities through the creative act of development. This concept reclaims public spheres as arenas to explore identity formation and community growth. Central to this notion of generative narratives in which meaning is forged through forming deep personal connections, deep hanging out, mm-hmm. usually over espresso or maybe paella, mm-hmm. <laughs> narratives, are made, narratives are made with people from particular communities, not just about, about or for. And the development stages of a project need to be framed with the question that was first posed to be my professor, Ed Taylor from the University of Washington, when we are working with a group of high school principals and teachers in South Africa, whose interests are being served? Whose interests are being served by this action, by our choices? And this question, whose interests being served, because I'm a filmmaker, so I get to employ some film metaphors, becomes the staging mise-en-scene, right? The key Mm -hmm. mechanisms of a scene of the co-creative action. And the goal is to not merely capture data, get the story, take a snapshot, obtain information, but to develop a process of reciprocity in which shared narratives become a component of engaged relationships, read Steve Garber, transformative development, read um, Dion Pretorius, or simultaneous renewal, John Goodlad, whereby individual and institution renewal are expected to occur across sectors. And through this approach, we may widen the focus to expose creative ideas, cultural expressions, learning opportunities, business strategies, advocacy work, and generative narratives whose functional role is to advance people's knowledge of themselves and the world around them. Through the collaborative process of development, ideas come alive and opportunities arise, engaging causes that generate activity around the needs, assets, and interests of particular communities of practice. So I went into reading mode. So that's a no, that's lot. Okay. That's a lot of words. Can, but let me see if I can summarize yeah, it just sure. really simply. And this is this is a concept that um, I talk about every day with my psychotherapy clients, and that is too often we are focused on the content. If it's the content of our communication, if it's the goal that we're trying to achieve, but we're content focused, and maybe that's just a a cultural thing in in this country. And what I understanding you saying is the process, the process is where we pay attention because it's, it's how we create what we create, how we ask ourselves the questions and how we create well-being. So and ultimately, the content will be good if we follow good process. Yeah, but that's where you got to hold content and context simultaneously. That's why it's simultaneous renewal. Right. So you don't want to you don't want to privilege one over the other per se. But ultimately, with that question, whose interests are being served, you want to ask, what does the criteria for success look like, and make sure that that criteria is developed collectively by the very participants in the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A neoliberal agenda say like you're going for a grant what's that funding agency who's going to tell you what the criteria of success is not the very participants who often become the least important aspect of the research so they felt research is being done unto them not with them or for them they need 
the participants need to be part of the collective defining of the criteria for success, which will drive the action. That's why I talk about shift the question, shift the narrative, shift the action. So that's why I go back to this economic argument, ultimately what counts. And if what counts is the, the neoliberal agenda of profit maximization, well, that leaves out a whole set of mechanisms, social cohesion, spirituality, mm -hmm. uh, social emotional language that are so important that makes us who we are. Where does that show up and what counts? And that's what needs to shift. So what I'm trying to do is come up with the, the collective gathering of information to frame that story. Then ultimately what I hope, what, what I hope, I mean, what I, what I propose as a deliverable is actually a curriculum that I'm calling the Creative Exchange Learning Collab, which could okay. be taken up. I'm going to Creative Commons, open source it, make it available. Um, that could be then baked into, maybe it's geared towards high school students. Maybe it's geared towards college students. Maybe it's geared toward mid-career um, changers. So the, the curriculum is designed and can be tweaked accordingly. Um, and then the other thing that I'm developing is what I call the generative narrative planning tool. So one's the GNP-T and the other <laughs> is the CLCL, right? The, <laughs> sorry, I, <laughs> alphabet soup of acronyms make me, make me laugh. So, <laughs> so and, the and the generative narrative planning tool is really the planning document that if a group looks and wants to implement this curriculum, the suggestion is to go through this planning process. So you're not just adopting it without doing that process contextual work. I plan to have all this least handed in and wrapped up by April. Then, then they'll come back with, you know, the methodology needs, a, you know, whatever, whatever. We'll see. We'll see what the re response is going to be. Wow. We, you know, when you were mentioning Mosazaki, it's, yeah. uh, I, I was going to ask if you would give, uh, give our audience sort of a context of what were you doing in South Africa to begin with? Like what, yeah. uh, what led you there and uh, how, how did this part of that, that thread begin and what was created out of that? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, the short answer is serendipity and providence. Um, uh, I was invited in 2000 to participate in an exchange where a group of educators from the University of Washington went to Port Elizabeth, South Africa to connect with some faculty at the University of Port Elizabeth and with uh, principals in township schools to really think about where are potential places of partnership, where are potential places of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And that was a dialogue that's, that has been ongoing since then with some, some key people. And one of the stories is, uh, this was probably my second trip. So Case would have been five at the time. I called home. Hey, Case, how's it going? What are you doing? Papa, what time is it there in South Africa, Papa? I go, oh, Case, it's, it's Friday morning. It's six o'clock in the morning. What time is it in Seattle, Case? Oh, Papa, it's 10 o'clock, but it's Thursday here and it's Friday there. Hey, Papa, guess what? What? You're in the future. What's the future <laughs> like, Papa? And I, and I thought about that. Wow. You know, throwaway line. But brilliant, 
Because as I got to know the teachers, the cultural activists, the artists in and around Nelson Mandela Bay, I was turned on to the word Ubuntu, mm -hmm. which can be translated, we are, therefore I am. We are, therefore I am. If the common point of identity and agency in the West is built on Descartes' notion of cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, what does it mean to start with the we? It doesn't mean that the I is displaced. It's just put into a different frame. You start right. with the we. Flash forward a couple of years later, uh, Desmond Tutu came to Seattle. I was part of a team that helped to actually make a short, make a film about that. And, 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 and Tutu tells this wonderful story that basically ends with the, the tagline, we are different, not in order to be separated. We are different in order to complement one another. Hmm. So as I started thinking about this term Mazazaki, to build each other, this term Ubuntu, we are, therefore I am, to complement one another, that was the seedbed for a lot of the work that I've been engaged with. And um, in 2016, took the time to put in a proposal to Nelson, Nelson Mandela to write, to write this up. But I've had ongoing relationships with the core group of folks there and in fact uh dion pretorius who i cite in my paper is also my my supervisor so the other dynamic is i have a colleague and a friend as a supervisor and he's actually handled that pretty well because he, he he's found no excuse not to pull any punches on his criticism i'm like <laughs> come on man <laughs> but you know I, i'm glad iron sharpens iron i guess <laughs> and, and and i guess he because he is an i he is a participant in the iron man so he he's one of those you know runs 20 miles and swims for that stuff freaks me out you know? <laughs> my my iron man i you know when angelic and i went to brazil i i invented what i what i'm calling the brazilian iron man which uh -oh, is basically yeah so you ride a bike for about a half a mile then you go to one of the waterfalls then you swim in water for five minutes then you eat a sandwich and then you take a nap for two hours and you're actually oh. rated on your napping and so I'm, I'm in nap training yeah okay yeah. okay i you know I, I might be competitive in that one yeah i could bring it on <laughs> wow well so can you give me an example of sort of the the basic paradigms you're talking about um a, co a collective contextualizing the i being being held in the we and you know you're talking about culture and creative industries i understand that uh you have actually produced something that we could put on a turntable as an example of these yes. principles brought to life yeah, this this was another outcome of living in exiled lockdown times and wanting to be intentional in staying connected, even though a lot of the people I like to spend time with, I was we were disconnected from. And so myself, my daughter, my friend Steve and his daughter, and my friend James and his daughter, we we produced an album, a vinyl album. Like we, <laughs> we wrote, produced, recorded, and put out a vinyl album under the name Now Defunct. And uh, the name of the album is Skills Are Handy, Feel Is Good. <laughs> I love it. And, and it, was, it was a collectively generated album because it was uh, funded through a Kickstarter campaign. And 
shout out to you for the contribution. You're part of this and your Absolutely. name is actually here. And and like, for instance, the cover art, the, the Pacific Northwest artist, Erica Grimm, contributed the front cover. And for those of you who can't see, it's a picture of a girl flying a kite. And it tries to get at that moment where you're flying a kite. You're so far into that experience of that kite flying. You run off the cliff's edge. And when you don't realize, are you going to soar or are you going to fall? Mm. That's that. That's what we're trying to get at. But um, uh, the other thing that's interesting about the artwork, which Angelica actually helped to do the, 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 the graphic layout and the design, is that we include a whole section where because we weren't physically together, a lot of the exchanges happen through text exchange. And, we, and, and, and the artwork reflects that. So, you know, we've got text exchange is like, um, how about we name the band Family Tree? And then, and then the, the web says that Family Tree is now defunct. Well, now defunct is a cool name too. What if we go with now defunct? But it's presumptive, presumptive of funk, which we lack, or at least two of us do. So does one third of funkiness justify the lack of lesser funkability? Uh, or we can just call ourselves children of a lesser funk. My band name is now Lester Less Funk, and I'll only respond to Lester or Mr. Funk from now on if we ever disband sincerely less funk. So that type of flavor, right? I, I want to read something since you know Anna Macklin, my mom. I one do. of the texts, because she couldn't help herself, got in on the act. She, <laughs> she wrote, we are invited to join in the joy of the cosmic dance which is always there. We are in the midst of it and it is in the midst of us for it beats in our bones, whether we want it to or not. We cast our spin to the winds and join in the dance. Much love, Nuna Anna. I thought, whoa, that, that sort of, I don't know what she's talking about, but I dig it. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. beautiful. That's beautiful. So the, the other, you know, for me, this was unexpected because I never I never thought this would be something that I would actually accomplish, you know, being I've, I, I came to playing music later on in my lifetime because of my interaction with the Seattle Fandango project, which is participatory music rooted in participation, not necessarily performance because I had a performance hang up. I don't consider myself to be good at, a, at playing. So why would I want to do something that I'm not good at? And, and it, music didn't come to me quickly. Right. So I shied away from it, but the Seattle Fandango project, as I was filming it, uh, Quetzalcoatl kept saying, when are you going to put down the camera and, 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 and play everyone plays. And I said, ah, it's not my thing. Let me bring my talent to the table. So you're not listening. This is participatory. Everyone plays at the level you're playing at. So Ramon Gutierrez, uh, Luthier and Maestro from Veracruz, Mexico, I was doing a music video with him, made me a harana, which is the sixth. It's like a ukulele, but they're double string instrument. Mm -hmm. And he made me one and said, in exchange for doing this video, I said, now you must play. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I committed to it a little bit every day, every day, learn a chord, learn a chord. And there's basic patterns. And then there was a community that met every Saturday, you know, pre-COVID, a taller, a workshop where you get together for three hours to play one song. But wow. it, but but you're it's intergenerational kids, aunties. It became the Seattle 
SFP, the Seattle Fertility Project. I don't know how many children <laughs> came out of that, those exchanges. Um, but it really, I finally started getting the shift between performance to participatory. I'm not arguing one is better than the other, but they're, di- but they're different modalities. And yeah. coming at it for, from a per- participatory way, let me off the performance hook and gave me the time to realize people are brilliant players. Maybe they're, they're le- blessed with a certain amount of talent, but they put the work in, right? Yeah. It's about the work. I had to get through a motivational thing. So I'm not saying that by any means I'm, I could, I consider myself okay, but what I am competent is I've put the time in, I put the practice and it's starting to give me the ability to, 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 to participate in music and open up a side of who I am and what I do that I did that was sort of untapped. So that, that has been awesome. And then this now defunct experience just gave the occasion to be able to work with close friends and daughters to create and write songs. And my son case also um, he mixed most of the album and he contributes a song called old enough, which I think if you get a chance, we should spin up and listen to. Yeah. I think I was, I was about to ask, I was going to say, let's, let's spin it. Do you want to give us an, an intro to old enough? Uh, let's just spin it. We can talk about it on the other side if you want. Sounds good. Between trauma and nirvana Laughing about some memories we used to call drama I miss the summer Before we had to grow up I miss getting drunk and not getting hung over For real though Candlelight and vino Built the studio They started asking about credo If they made a movie about my life I'd like to think we'd make it regal I'ma bring out all my people Even grandma in the B-roll They used to tell me Wait until you old enough Lately I've been thinking Am I old enough? Cause the party don't stop Till we say so You can come my way Looking for the plug You can come my way If it wasn't for the squad Then I'd have no way No way Yeah, yeah So if we going in We going all in Where you wanna be When the world ends You can't bring me down You can't bring me down No, we gon' live it up But we still can So if we going in We going all in Where you wanna be When the world ends You can't bring me down You can't bring me down No, we gon' live it up I be laying low, thinking I can make it up What's the word? We can make it all up I just need a lot to get to start me up I used to listen before I put on my socks in the club But I, but I know I need to get to my shit See, I tried a whole lot, just need something to stick Finally found my place, I'll be bagging a gym Tried to get away so tough that I forgot where I'll be running from I might lose the game if I keep skipping when I'm bugging, bruh I have the most fun when I show love to my siblings God is just a supplement who no need for looking dizzy So where I wanna be, with my brothers overlooking our city If you're looking for the love, you can come my way Looking for the plug, you can come my way If it wasn't for the squad, then I'd have no way, no way Yeah, yeah
Okay. So that was outstanding. Tell us a little bit about that song. Yeah. So that's, that's Case's song, Old Enough. You know, he's early 20s, questioning, am I old enough to take on what the next phase of his life is going to be? We spent a lot of time not asking, what do you want to major or what do you job want to be? The question was always, what challenges do you want to take on? So I think he's questioning that. And, 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 he, and he gets one of his friends, Nick Edney and Kaya Barnes to sing on it. And I think the it's got this Motown sort of feel to it. And the horn section is really cool. So I think as the kid would say, it's a, it's a dope song. <laughs> yeah. I love the video yeah. with that too. Yeah. Well, how about if we spin teachers that, that was yeah. a, sort of a central focal point for the album. And, um, yeah. and this is by Nico. Yeah. Your daughter. Yeah, wrote Nico, this one? Yes. Steve McMahon wrote the melody line, but then Nico took it and took it to another level because when 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 steve sent me the song he was calling it more than a cure song but he couldn't <laughs> he didn't know what to do with it he was just stuck and nico took it on so it's got it's got like this cure like vibe to it and sort of the, the way that the music works but as part of the kickstarter campaign for those who gave it a certain level they they could name a teacher and we got all the names of the different teachers from that aspect so this is her you know, Walter Brueggemann talks about criticizing and energizing, having yeah. to do both. So this is her critical analysis of school systems, while at the same time energizing by talking about those teachers who are working within that system, trying to do good, which is hard. <laughs> yeah, let's give that a listen.
So that, that was wonderful. And I, and I love how y'all gave the Kickstarter people the opportunity to participate in that as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, to, to be a, a part of that project. And, and uh, this gets at, you know, I didn't mean to provide this as an example to maybe the dissertation question. This is collective development in action, right? Yeah, it is. Giving the participants to build it with us and a reason and a reason to care. And then it also comes full circle because that big choir at the end, we have to thank our friends, uh, Mama Lena Forte from Ghetto Youth Uprising and for, for the choir parts at the end. Um, so that was, you know, so it's, it, it's got this international global connection with people performing on the album. So that's, that's another, you know, I'll get all my friends next time we're working on another song. You're going to have to dust out that Ricky and get a little bass. Yeah. With us, definitely. <laughs> yeah, come on. I know. I know you've got some chops. I'm not sure the last time you picked it up, but I know you got some chops. Oh, well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have to admit, I have to admit, I spend a lot of time. A lot of my time is focused on zeitgeist and, you know, every once in a while I, I, I get tired and every once in a while I say to myself, you know, oh, is, is all of this effort, is it worth it? <laughs> and of course the answer is yes, but, but every once in a while there's a split second when I say to myself, I could just be playing my bass. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> instead of like rebuilding the website. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that would be great to do another collaborative project like that. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, this is, this is heady stuff, but, but really it's not. Really it's about finding the heart in, in teaching opportunities, right? And, and I really, I'm going to go back and revisit it yet again. This, this idea of, you know, are you doing transmission? Or are you doing transactions or are you creating transformation? Yeah. And, you know, the key points that you had pulled out of the learning during the pandemic are very, very helpful. And I just think this, this, this paradigm of bringing people along, ele elevating the voice of the participants and just focusing on creating collaboration all along the way is that's that's a mission that i'd like zeitgeist to to yeah. sign up for and sign on and uh like i said we'd love to have you and we and we will in 2022 come back and lead a workshop that can help others apply this either as a student how do you get the most out of out of your experience or if you are an educator how do you structure that in a way to create that transformation so um, we'd love you to, to put that together for us and, and share with us in, uh, in a remote context then. Well, maybe we'll, we'll see maybe by 2022, we can actually be together because I would love, we'll, we'll figure out how to cook this up because I'd like to do something around this generative planning process, but do it also by teaching folks how to cook paella together. So that way we'll be cooking a meal together, getting into the theory of development, but then we'll get to share what we're learning and then people can leave with, 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 a, with a skill set of, of cooking for others. So maybe that's something we can think about. I, I sign. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> capital Y, capital E, capital S. Yes. Paella is the answer to so many things. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> 
Well, I'll let you go for this evening. And um, I, I thank you so much for taking the time now. Thank you for taking the time in an advisory capacity for whatever we do for Zeitgeist. And um, uh, thank you for being a teacher for us uh, yep. in the future. Thank, thanks for all that you do and all the care, curational care that you take with people's lives. And just hugs and kisses to your baby's baby's belly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And, and for our listeners, uh, we'll make sure and, um, you know, depending on if you're accessing this via a podcast or via our website, um, we'll make sure that you've got some links to learn more about what Scott is doing and to figure out where you can get the now defunct album and listen to that for yourself. Thanks again.